0: Open the precious Word of God with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and let's briefly look at the first 11 verses. Consider a few places in Scripture that describe the resurrection and our Lord's coming as the great hope of the believer, and then consider a few passages of Scripture that tell us the effect it should have in our lives. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let me read to you the first 11 verses. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren... Are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us, who are of the day, Be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and edify one another, even as also ye do. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. These 11 verses can be divided into three sections. The first three verses are about the timing of the Lord's second coming and the nature of it. Verses 4 through 8 describe the effect it ought to have in our lives. And then verses 9 through 11 are the comforting truth that we ought to tell each other and encourage each other with about our Lord, Lord's appointment of us to eternal life. First of all, the first three verses. To the Thessalonians, Paul said, you don't need for me to write and tell you about the times and seasons of the Lord's second coming, because I've already told you about those things, and you know them perfectly well, and they can all be summarized this easily. The Lord Jesus Christ will return like a thief in the night. That's the issue, that's the point. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, the last six verses of the previous chapter are describing the Lord descending from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and those verses that we are very familiar with. The dead in Christ being raised first, and we which are alive remain being caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The question would naturally arise, when does that take place? And as 2 Thessalonians is going to tell us, it was not imminent. And Paul told them that it wasn't imminent. But this church was so caught up in the idea of the Lord returning at any time that he has to warn them a couple different ways. And the warning here is, the Lord Jesus Christ will return as a thief in the night. If you knew when a thief was coming at night, you would turn the lights on, have the door locked, and be ready with the 12-gauge sitting in the chair waiting for him. Maybe you'd have the lights out so he could enter in, and it'd be easier for you to get him with your 12-gauge. But you would be prepared. You'd be prepared and waiting for him. But thieves don't let you know when they're coming. They don't send you a postcard three days early and say, I'm going to be in your house in three nights. Thieves come when you're least expecting them and you're usually sound asleep in bed and they come usually at night where they can't be seen and then approaching your house and circling your house to find the easiest point of entrance can't be seen. The Lord was going to come in such a way. But before we go further with that point, let's remember a few things. We know, we know some things that we should remember when we think about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Yeah. Almost every other pulpit in the world has to tell their people that Jesus could come at any time except, except we've got to get the gospel preached to every creature because until the gospel has been preached in all the world for a witness, Jesus can't come. Matthew chapter 24 verse 14 or so. This gospel, of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness and then shall the end come. That's what's taught. So we've got to to send some more money to radio stations. We've got to send out more missionaries until the gospel is preached to every single one of the 6.8 billion people that are on earth before Jesus can come. Then when Jesus comes, some of you in this audience are are pre-tribulation, post-mid-point tribulationists, so I'm not sure when you're going to be with the Lord, but Jesus has to come for a seven-year tribulation, then He's got to come back before He brings in the 1,000-year millennium, then He can come back and we can finally be with the Lord in a new heaven and a new earth. I have something very different to tell you. Jesus can come at any time. We know that there is a 1,260-year period of time in which the little horn that grew out of the Roman Empire would make war against the saints of God and prevail against them. She is no longer prevailing against the saints of God. The 1,260 years is past. I don't care how you measure it. It's, it's beginning point or it's end point. It's past. Right. So that's out of the way. That's Daniel chapter 7. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If we just turn the page, 2 Thessalonians 2 says, Jesus can't come until two things are in place. Number one, there's a great falling away from the truth. That's already taken place. If you, you should be able to see that one. Number two, the man of sin is revealed so we know who this great enemy of God is that sits in a so-called temple of God and professes that he is God and above everything that is God. That's the little horn of Daniel. It's the popes of Rome. They've been here for a long time. Right. Those two things are out of the way. We can read First and Second Thessalonians differently than the Thessalonians heard these words. That's right. They had these events still in front of them. We go to the book of Revelation and we see the 1,000 year reign of Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 20 as a spiritual reign that he has been exercising since his first coming. So we don't have that in our path. And we know there's no seven year tribulation because it's not taught anywhere in the Bible. We don't believe the 70th week of Daniel has been lost and is still waiting for fulfillment, detached, by 2,000 years from the first 69 weeks, we believe that it's called the 70th week because it came after the 69th week. And we believe it's about 2,000 years fulfilled. Do you know what? When we say that the Lord could come in our lifetimes, we have a Bible basis for it. We have a Bible basis for it. And when you see the world going to haywire around you and them getting together and their hatred of the God of heaven and Bible Christians and Bible and Christianity and the Bible itself, Satan's been loosed for a little season before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no reason why we should not believe that. We do not have 2 Thessalonians 2 yet to be fulfilled. We do not have Daniel 7 yet to be fulfilled. We do not have Revelation 20 and the thousand year reign of Christ yet to be fulfilled. Jesus Christ could come. The the points that the Bible does give in the way of a timetable have been fulfilled. Wouldn't that be gracious if we happened to be that generation? Now, He's been so gracious to us in so many other ways. Could He add one more thing and still be God? Could He give us one more great big favor? Yes, Father in Heaven, let it be so. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Back to the words here. Thief in the night. Thief in the night. Verse The last... Part of verse 2. Verse 3, the world's going to be saying peace and safety. Everything is secure. Everything is wonderful. We're getting our hands on humanity. And we've got the United Nations clicking. And we're doing this. And we're solving world hunger. And blah, blah, blah. Peace and safety. When they think everything is pretty smooth in their view of things, then the Lord's coming and they shall not escape. They shall not escape 6.8 billion. It doesn't matter how many of them there are. There could be 7.8 billion when He comes in three years. It doesn't matter. They shall not escape. It's going to be like transition coming on a woman in labor. Did you escape, women? Don't tell me about your epidural. Did you escape? Well, that's what it says here. It's like travail upon a woman with child. They shall not escape. It comes suddenly. You know, sometimes you're asking for it, but then when it comes, you wish you'd ask for it tomorrow. Isn't that right? You know, you get tired being pregnant, so you want this baby to arrive and so you pray for the Lord. Would you pl- please get my labor started? But as soon as labor starts, you wish you had prayed for next week. Because when it, once it starts, it's there. You can't say, I'm so tired, I didn't get much sleep last night. If we could just hold this thing off for another couple of days, I'll get some better sleep, and then we'll be able to do this. No, the Lord makes the choice of when you go into travail. So we've got two figures of speech, two metaphors the Bible's given us. A thief in the night, travail upon a woman in labor, and they're not going to escape. Right. They can say peace and safety. I don't care if they unite all their militaries together in the world to report to the United Nations. They're not going to defend against the Lord Jesus Christ and His mighty angels in flaming fire coming from heaven in vengeance. On them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you like being part of a winning team? Do you like being part of a winning military? We shall be. Amen. When he shall come to wreak vengeance on all his enemies and to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. I gotta read you two more verses from that passage. It's second, it's the next page. It's second Thessalonians chapter one. This is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know when you're reading the Bible about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, all the events that the rest of the Christian world strings out over the next 1,007 years, the Bible just collapses into one event. One event. There's one resurrection. There's not two resurrections, three or four. There's one resurrection. And the wicked and the righteous are raised at the same time. They're both given their bodies. The, The bodies of the wicked are given to them so that body, soul, and spirit, they can suffer in hell forever and ever. And the righteous have body, soul, and spirit to be in heaven forever and ever. It all happens at once. Look at this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. You who are troubled, rest with us. Believers can always be at rest, even when they were being persecuted like the poor saints in Thessalonica were persecuted. And to you who are troubled, how can you be troubled and be at rest? Because you're troubled in your body, you're troubled in your balance sheet, you're troubled in your house, you're troubled in your family, but you're at rest in your soul. You're, you're at rest in your faith. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. This is that sudden destruction. When Jesus appears with His angels and destroys His enemies, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, Because our testimony among you was believed in that day. That's the evidence of eternal life and that you're going to be in those that are going to be admiring Jesus Christ and glorified in Him if you believe the gospel of His Son. Verse 11, I've got to read you these two verses. Wherefore, wherefore, also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness. And the work of faith with power Amen. that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul here was praying that these Thessalonian saints would have God's work so thorough, so complete, so full in their lives that they would have the work of faith done in them, that God would be fulfilling all his good pleasure in them. So that when Jesus Christ appeared, they would be, He would be glorified in them, and they would be glorified in Him. What a combination. If we can be living lives to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ when He comes, He's certainly gonna glorify us when He comes. And the combination is described in these two verses of what Paul prayed for these Thessalonian saints. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. They're gonna say peace and safety. And I don't care whether it's green peace, military peace, ACLU peace, or whatever peace they want to describe. They're going to be thinking the world's, the world's working pretty well. Then the Lord Jesus Christ appears and he thinks it stinks. And he wrecks vengeance on this world. What they call peace is an abomination to him. And they shall not escape. Did it sound like there was any escape from Second Thessalonians chapter 1 when he comes in flaming fire with his mighty angels? They're called mighty angels because there is no escape. It's described as flaming fire because he's going to burn them all up and they're going to be destroyed from the presence of the Lord forever. They shall not escape. Of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need to write unto you. All I'm going to tell you, Thessalonians, in this chapter, is that that day is going to come like a thief in the night. Now, he told them more in Second Thessalonians, didn't he? He gave them those two events that had to come first. The great falling away and the man of sin being revealed. But we're living on the other side of all that. Yes. Even so, come thief in the night. Lord Jesus Christ, come. But let's not let him take us unawares. And that's what the next few verses are for. Verse 4, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. It's a thief in the night for the world. It's not a thief in the night for us. We should be looking for Him and praying for Him every day. We should have the lights burning every day. Lord Jesus, I hope You come today. If You come today, You're going to catch me in righteousness. We don't want to be thinking any other way. If You come tonight, You're going to catch me with my sins forgiven. I'm at peace with my wife. I'm at peace with my children. I've done what You expect me to do. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, come tonight. The thief in the night is for the world, not for us. We don't want him to come as a thief in the night for us. We don't want to be caught in darkness. We want to be children of the day. Ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. The darkness here is sin and ignorance. We are not living in sin and ignorance for that day to overtake us like a thief. We're living differently because verse 5 says, Ye are all the children of light. That's holiness and godliness and knowledge. Light light reveals things. Light When you turn the light on in a room, you can see what's in the room. You can see if somebody's hiding in the corner. Light is knowledge, and light is godliness and holiness. It's the opposite of verse 4, of them being in darkness, sin and ignorance. Ye are all the children of light, and the children of the day. We live in the bright exposure of God's light. Not just sunlight, but God's view. Our lives are clean. Our sins are confessed. We're doing what is right. We're not living in sin and ignorance and trying to hide our sins from God. That's living in the night and in darkness. We are not of the night nor of darkness. We are very opposite. They are living in ignorance. They do not even know about the coming of Jesus Christ. They are living in sin. They have no regard for the laws of God. That is, that is their darkness. That is their night. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to catch them totally unawares. Right. We are not of that night. We are of the day. We are of, we are of living for God. We're not hiding anything. We are living in righteousness and holiness. We should be. We better be. Right? Is what Paul is teaching these Thessalonians. you are all the children of light. It's terrible when a child of light acts like a child of darkness. Or when a child of the day lives like a child of the night. Verse 6. So how should we be living? Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, sleep in ignorance, sleep in sin, sleep in not looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and living accordingly. Let's not be like that. Let us not sleep as do others, the rest of the world, but let us watch and be sober. Let us be looking for it. Do you know what it says? When Paul was about to end his when Paul was about to have his life ended, he would have ended it too, because he said for me to depart is better but he wouldn't have committed suicide. Let me me undo that long string of sentences or half sentences. Suicide is self-murder. If anybody ever asked you, is suicide okay? No, suicide isn't okay. That's self-murder. God gave you that life, and He'll take that life when He wants it back. And you should do your reasonable best to preserve it while you've got it. Back to this verse here, verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, we should be looking for it. When Paul was about to die, Paul said, Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the righteous Lord, the judge of all, will give me in that day, and he will also give it to them that love his appearing. That's watching. We're looking. We're supposed to be looking for that blessed hope. Titus chapter two. We're supposed to be hastening. We want it to come faster. Second Peter chapter three. We want the Lord Jesus Christ to return. If we don't think that way, we have a spiritual problem. And we need to change whatever is going on in our lives to get more focused on God's Word and the coming events that Jesus Christ has in store for us. We shouldn't be wrapped up in the things of this world. That's being in the darkness. That's going to sleep. That's relaxing. We want to watch and be sober. Sober is to be serious about life. It's to be grave. It's to take it as very important. So we want to be living, so not playing around with sin, not living foolishly, but living very conscious of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, Therefore let us not sleep as do others. Let everyone else be all wrapped up in their education, all wrapped up in their balance sheet, all wrapped up in their houses, all wrapped up in their families, all wrapped up in their bodily exercise, all wrapped up in their entertainment, wrapped up in their hobbies. Let them be wrapped up in all those things. Let us be wrapped up primarily in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that it doesn't take us unawares like it does others. Amen. Verse 7, for they that sleep, sleep in the night. They love their darkness, and that's when people sleep. But they that, be, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. It's seldom that a man gets drunk before noon. He gets drunken later in the night. Bars are open at night. They're not open in the morning. Because this is when the world does its sinning. And Paul's still playing on the metaphor of a day versus a night. Light versus darkness. Sleeping versus being awake. These metaphors that he's using are the difference between the world just going on in their sins and their ignorance without regard for the fact that they are about to meet God. Right. Amos chapter 4 says, prepare to meet thy God. And they're not thinking about it. We want to be totally different than that. In contrast to sleeping, verse 7. In contrast to being drunken, in verse 7, we have verse 8. But let us, but, a disjunctive, telling you that verse 8 is different from verse 7. Let us, who are of the day, the day, light, knowledge, truth, holiness, godliness. Let us, who are of the day, be sober. There it is again, sober in verse 6, sober in verse 8. Life is not a joke, life is not a game. Life is a drama that God has set the stage for, for His honor and glory, and He has adopted us as His children and made us stars in His cast. And in His cast, He wants us to live like the children of God. We need to be sober about our lives, take them seriously, live them gravely, be vigilant and diligent in all the things that He expects out of us. And he tells us three things that we ought to have in our lives. If we're sober and of the day, we put on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. We're in a warfare against the lust of our flesh. We're in a warfare against the world that's sleeping in sin and ignorance. Three things he wants out of our lives. Faith, love, and hope. And the greatest of these is love. Those are the three things we're supposed to live a life of faith. That's the armor we put on against this unbelieving world that doesn't know anything and doesn't believe anything except the hallucinations of their own mind. They believe in a Big Bang Theory and that we came from monkeys and other things like that because they made it up and they believe it. But we have faith. Faith in God's Word, God's promises, and that Jesus Christ is coming according to His Word to put on love, the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. This is how we live soberly. We are living a life of faith, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We choose to live our lives according to what God has said, what we cannot see, but God has said it and we believe it. Then we love, we love God and we love our brethren because the Bible tells us to do so. And then we have on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Our our mind is protected, our thoughts are sane, our feet are firmly planted, our souls are steady because we have the hope of salvation. What God has promised He is going to perform. My life does not end here. Though I might have everything taken away from me and though I might die in my body, I have a whole eternity in heaven. It is the hope that drives us and gives us purpose. There is no hope in this world to give you purpose. It's going to be stripped from you. Every single thread of it is going to be torn from you. But there is hope in heaven that can give you hope now. We're supposed to put this helmet on now as the hope of our salvation. Verses 4 through 8 describe how we're supposed to be living differently from the world. We just don't get up in the morning, wander off to a job, make money, build a house, have kids, get them through high school, get them through college, all these garbage goals that people have in comparison to living with faith, love, hope, in the day, in knowledge, in expectation, watching, and being sober for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be living differently. Verse 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a reason to live this way. We have a reason to put on the hope of salvation, because God has appointed us to salvation. Do you know the Bible says, it is appointed unto men once to die? That's right. That's right. But the Bible is telling us right here, it's appointed unto his elect to live. Sure. It's appointed unto men once to die. Is 927, but it's appointed for us to live, for God hath not appointed us to wrath. What a ch- difference God made in this drama of the universe. Hath not the potter, hath not the potter power of the same clay to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. Vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy. It's right here's the appointment. For God hath not appointed us to wrath. Right there, that should, that should change your life. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how it's by the Lord Jesus Christ and why we have the Lord's Supper, who died for us. Right. That, whether we wake or sleep, see, we don't really die. He that keepeth my sayings shall never see death who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Even if our bodies die, it's only called sleeping. And we're going to live for eternity with him. And it was by God's appointment. How seldom is that taught. It is by God's appointment that we do not endure wrath. That is election right there without the word E-L-E-C-T-I-O-N. It's appointment here. It's predestination in other places, but it's to be understood right here that God has appointed us to salvation by Jesus Christ. God had the plan of salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ made the legal payment by offering up His own life. That whether we are alive when He comes, that's awake, or whether we're in the cemetery when He comes, that we should live with Him forever. Because it doesn't matter if our bodies are put in a cemetery, we are still going to live with Him forever. Because He's appointed us to that life. Verse 11, wherefore? Wherefore? Wherefore, comfort yourselves together. That's why they were a church, and that's why we are a church. Comfort yourselves together. We should have one mind, one thought, one judgment, one ambition about this subject. And edify one another, even as also ye do. The Thessalonians were already doing it, but Paul wanted to do, them to do it even more. And we should be doing it. We should edify one another. That's to build each other up by keeping our priorities and our perspective of life according to the Word of God, that we are the children of the day and not of the night. Look in your Bibles at Colossians chapter 1. Let's just quickly, very quickly, review the fact that the coming of Jesus Christ and the resurrection from the dead is our hope. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5, verse 4, verse 3. While you're getting there, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. When we preach the Bible, when we preach the gospel, why it's called glad tidings is because it tells us of the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. How is it laid up? Did you lay it up? No, Jesus Christ laid it up for you. God appointed you to it, and Jesus Christ paid the price for it. It's laid up for you already. You're not even there yet, but it's laid up for you. It's there for you. It's got your name on it. Do you know where your name is? It's in the Lamb's Book of Life. When we sang this morning, when the roll is called up yonder. You know, you have teachers that call the roll at the beginning of a class session, but there's going to be a roll called in heaven, and it's every name that is in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's laid up for you in heaven. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of your love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before. The reason we preach the gospel is to tell ourselves, remind ourselves of the hope that is laid up in heaven for us. That's the good news. It is better than any news that you could ever have in this world. And that the person sitting next to you could have, and the two of you were to add them together and square them, if you were to combine them, if your imagination was allowed to run wild, and you could have and fulfill every single imagination of your heart, if you were to get every single one of them, it still wouldn't amount to a can of beans compared to the glory of heaven. If you were able to get every imagination of your heart, and we can't get the imaginations of our heart, but we can get the imagination of His heart, and His heart is eternal life in heaven for us. But we get distracted with the stupid things of this life, the vast majority of which end up in frustrating dreams that you never realize anyway. What in the world are we doing? Forget looking and wishing and hoping and planning and pressing for something in this life. Let's look and hope and plan and love and wait for something in the next life. It is a sure thing. Amen. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. The grace of God. The good news. The glad tidings that comes in the gospel. This is what the gospel means. It's good news. In verse 11, it teaches us something. Titus 2.11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us that. The true grace of God teaches us something. That we should deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. That we should live soberly. Does that word sound familiar? That we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What if the coming of Jesus Christ is one tenth the way the Bible describes it to be? Will it be bigger than any events you've ever seen before? Amen. Will it be bigger than Michigan beating Michigan State in overtime yesterday? Absolutely. Which they didn't do. They lost. Will it be bigger than that? Yeah. Will it be bigger than a ticker tape parade? Yeah, Will it be bigger than an inauguration? When Jesus Christ splits this atmosphere in half and appears in glory with His mighty angels in flaming fire coming to judge the wicked to take us to be with Him forever? When He rips every cemetery apart in the world? When the oceans give up the dead that were in them? Does the Bible say that in the Bible? Does the Bible say that the sea shall give up the dead which were in it? Praise God! I don't care if somebody was cast... Why do you want to haul a dead body around on a destroyer and aircraft carrier? Put him in a piece of canvas and toss him overboard. Jesus Christ is going to take him up. The Bible says that. That event is coming. He's going to burn up this earth. The elements are going to melt with fervent heat. Amen. It's the biggest thing. What if it's one-tenth the way the Bible describes it? Is it still bigger than anything that's happened in your life? Yes. Well, my marriage was a pretty big event. It wasn't two weeks later. Um, two weeks later, you met your husband. Amen. So don't tell me about this great big wedding of yours. You know, it was a great big wedding while you were planning it. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm always going to tell you the truth. The wedding is always prettier than the marriage. That's the general rule. I hope that you all are exceptions. The point, the point being, pick what you want. Graduation from college, I got my MBA. I got my MBA with honors. I was valedictorian. I was saluted to... What, what, are, you, what are you talking about in life? Pick the biggest thing. Eric Carnell ends up being the president and CEO, chairman of the board of BB&T Corporation in 15 years from now. Biggest thing in his life. What's going to happen to him when he's lying in his casket? They're going to give it to some other man they're going to forget about him. They'll print his name once in a while in an annual report. Pick whatever you want. It doesn't matter. It's a hill of... It's garbage. In comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ coming and Eric Carnell being revealed to the universe as being one of God's adopted children. I've, I've told you. I am telling you Truth that is not found anywhere. The entire universe is moving toward one goal. The manifestation of the children of God to the whole universe. And do you know what? You're one of them. The, the It's mind-blowing that the God of heaven is going to pronounce my name and declare that I'm a child of God to the entire universe in your name. The devils in hell will be screaming that you are a son of God to, to spend eternity with God, and they are cast into hell in the torment of their Punishment will rise up before the throne of God forever and ever and ever and ever. This is what's coming. But do you know what? We walk out of here and there's not a billboard that tells us that. There's not a radio station hardly that tells us that. There's nothing on the television to remind you of it. You pick up the newspaper. There's nothing there to remind you. All it's doing is bombarding your senses with trying to find happiness and fulfillment by something in this life. That is why we come into the house of God. Remember what happened to Asaph in Psalm 73 because he wasn't in the house of God? That is why we come into the house of God to be reminded of these things. Will you help me remember these things every day that I live? Please help me remember these things. I can get distracted as much as you do. I want to help you remember these things. That's why I'm preaching through this and taking longer than I would ordinarily take, but I want to slow down and make you think about the effect this should have on our lives. Do you drive down the road and look up at the sky? Like Daniel Jones did when he went into his backyard one time and thought he saw the feet of Jesus coming through a cloud. Do I have the story right, Matthew? It was Daniel. I I could drive to the house right now. I remember you telling that, where's Daniel? There he is. Yes. Son, you had heard so much about Jesus Christ coming that you looked out there and saw something. You thought the feet of Jesus were coming through a cloud. You know, that's how... Amen, Daniel. Amen. Amen. When it was as beautiful as it was yesterday, would that have been a fitting day for the Lord to come? When He comes, it's going to make yesterday look ugly. He's coming. He's going to rip this place. Do you like domination? Do you like big scores? The Lord's going to have a big score. Infinity to zero. He wins. Thank you, Lord. Looking for, are you looking for that blessed hope? Is it a blessed hope to you? Is it even a hope? Quit hoping about anything else. Do you know why people get sick? Because hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Everything that you hope for in this life, it's not going to come true the way you want it to. Not going to come true. So it makes you sick. Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. But if you put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and His timing, remembering that He's going to come as a thief in the night, that means you're not going to pin Him down to some date, like date, date setters do. Do you know if somebody can pick a date for the coming of Jesus Christ, then 1 Thessalonians five one is not true? How could he come as a thief in the night if you can pick a date for it? What in the world? Lord help us. Help us. Look at first Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. First Peter one, three. Did I say three one? 1 Peter one three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is not just based on some idea, some imagination, some fable that came from the apostles. Our hope is based on the lively hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because there were over 500 witnesses that testified of it and a bunch of them put their witness, I, their observances in the Gospels of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Therefore, we've been begotten to a lively hope. It's a hope that's not based on just dead words on a page. It's a living Savior. Because He lives, we're going to live. That's John fourteen nineteen. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. This is the hope of the believer. And it should change our lives. Will you look at a few verses with me about how it should change our lives? Look at Colossians chapter 3. My final point, not my final verse, but my final point. Our point has been 1 Thessalonians 5, and then the hope of the believer, and there's more verses, but are you looking for that blessed hope? And then look at how it should change our lives. Do you know what we say when we are Baptized? Wow! When we are baptized, we defy death. I'm gonna do this in water because this is what I believe about death and resurrection. Though you bury me in a cemetery, I'm gonna rise out of it. Though they buried the Lord Jesus Christ in a tomb and put a stone in front of it, he rose out of it. Though I lived a certain way in the past, God has changed my life and I'm gonna to rise to walk in newness of life. We say all that in baptism. When we're, when we're baptized, we say, I know and I believe that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. Rose from the dead. How do I know that? That that's the doctrine of baptism. 1 Peter 3.21 The like figure, whereunto even baptism doth also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Our good conscience tells God, thank you for the hope that you have given me in the gospel, that the Old Testament religion never gave anyone, and that no other religion has ever given anyone that you have given me in the gospel. And so I answer you with my good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe in resurrection power of my Savior. Amen. How should it change your life? Verse one of Colossians 3. Assuming you're baptized, because that's what it's talking about when it says, if ye then be risen with Christ. Because this, this epistle wasn't written to people in heaven. Okay? This epistle wasn't written to people in heaven. So when it says, if ye then be risen with Christ, it's talking about some other rising. And we rise with Christ when we are baptized because that's what it says in chapter 2. It, I, I've taught you that before, but I hope you remember that. If ye then be risen with Christ, if, if this is true, If we really believe in the resurrection, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Take our love away from the things here and put it on the things of heaven for ye are dead. Remember, that's why you got baptized. You killed and buried your old self, your worldly self. To rise to walk in a new life for you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. That is the life that we ought to have as believers. Look at Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three. It ought to change our lives. It doesn't change our lives because we're lazy. It doesn't change our lives because we forget. So we need to be reminded of these things. It doesn't change our lives because the world we let too much of the world in. Through the television, through magazines, through newspapers, through friends, whatever the means, we let too much of the world in, and into our ears, into our eyes, into our souls, and it corrupts us. Evil communications corrupt good manners. It's that simple. Does this make sense to you? I'm going to read five verses, see if they make sense to you. Second Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Does that sound familiar? Are we talking about the same subject? Yes. Amen. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. How big do you think it'll be? Like the peal of thunder you heard the last thunderstorm we had? No. Guess again. Amen. When, it, when the Bible says with a great noise, and the other things we know about the coming of Jesus Christ, will it be decent? Yes. Is it going to rattle your spleen? But is he going to give you enough faith so that though your spleen's rattling, you're going to be excited? Amen. If you've been living a godly life, you will be excited. I get so excited. These, I believe every word of God. If my God says there's going to be a great noise, and I like great noises, it's going to be a great noise. Amen. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away. With a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then, is this true of you? Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. Now we get a repeat Let's be found at peace with every one of our brothers and sisters. Let's be found without spot of this world's sin hanging on us. And let us be blameless so that he has nothing to charge us with that we have not confessed and put under the blood of Christ. Right. If, if everything's going to be burned up, should we be living differently? Amen. Are, they, are these verses plain enough? Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? What manner of person ought I to be? Because all these things are going to be burned up. The love of Christ constraineth me, Paul said. One died for all, then all were dead. And they which live should henceforth live unto him that died for them. That's just plain logical sense. It's also spiritual sense because you can explain it logically to an unregenerate man, and he doesn't get it. You can explain it to a carnal Christian, he doesn't get it. It's sickening. You can, you can be so earthly-minded that you have verses like this read to you and you're still thinking about your earthly ambitions as soon as you walk out of here. I want to tell you something. You have no evidence of eternal life to the degree that you're thinking that way. Because these verses of Scripture ought to stoke a regenerate man's heart into loving his God and living for him. First John 3 would say, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. We should be called the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that. When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And he that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. That is the word of God when you put it all together. May the Lord bless us to purify ourselves. Thank you, Father, for giving us such a blessed hope of glory we are the least of all your creatures that deserve such a blessing we thank thee for the adoption of sons and we thank thee for the redemption of our bodies that is all yet coming and we give Thee honor and we give Thee glory and we praise the lamb of god by which all these things were purchased for us by his death for us we thank thee for the lord jesus christ that you sent into this world to lay down His life for us that we could live through Him. And Father, we give Him all the glory for having willingly chosen death when He didn't deserve it, willingly taken our sins when He had none of His own, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We thank Thee. Help us now to remember His death till He comes. But, O Lord, help us to be looking for His coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.